This episode is presented by the Cooks Community Premium Podcast Service. Thank you for your support. Hi, my name is Nathan Cook and you're listening to HDR Brews. In other words, high degree researchers drinking coffee. This small show is designed for academics to put their research interests in the spotlight. Please sit, learn and enjoy a cuppa while we do too. Hello and welcome to HDR Brews, in other words, high degree researchers drinking coffee. This episode's researcher is Matthew Bourne and Cup of Coffee is brought to you by Coffee Major. I'm having a nice latte, what are you having Matt? I'm having a cappuccino today mate. Yeah, in that nicely brought keep cup of yours. In a nicely brought keep cup, yes. Saving the environment one cup at a time. <laughs> so first of all Matt, what's your area of research? Uh, so, um, I guess broadly, I'm um, interested in uh, injury prevention, um, and um, I guess a lot of my work focuses on the the application of um, targeted training to to try to mitigate the risk of injury um, and also enhance performance. And that's in athletes. Uh, predominantly athletes. Um, yeah, we we work across uh, a number of sports. Um, uh, in, in, in both um, Australia and internationally uh, and um, I guess a lot of our work to date has focused on the lower limb, predominantly um, hamstring strain injuries uh, which is or was the topic for my PhD um, more recently expanding to to some other common lower limb injuries uh, like hip and groin pain um, knee or traumatic knee injuries uh, and a few other bits and pieces and are you finding has hamstring more of the stuff that's in the literature, or is? Yes, yeah, sure. So um, hamstrings are, despite our best efforts, still the the most common injury in yeah. running based sports. Um, so it, it it certainly keeps us busy. Mm. Um, despite a, a lot of work um, in recent years, uh, the the. I guess on a on a global uh, level, the the incidence of hamstring injury doesn't seem to be declining all that rapidly. Um, so, some isolated sports like the AFL um, seem to have had a bit of success in recent years, particularly with reducing um, rates of recurrence. Um, but it's yeah, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, and so with hamstring injuries, obviously the brought in things like the Nord board and stuff mm-hmm. like that to kind of assess players' strength. Mm-hmm. Is that what do you do in terms of trying to prevent hamstring injuries? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I guess uh, in in the hamstring literature, the very best evidence that we've got is for um, eccentric conditioning. Um, a lot of those uh, big RCTs have employed the the eccentric Nordic hamstring exercise, um, and together they've or collectively they've they've shown that. Um, Athletes who adopt that exercise, use it as a part of their regular training, um, have about half the the risk of hamstring injuries as those who don't. So we've got really strong level one evidence um, for eccentric conditioning. Um, we we still don't um, have a well. I guess we've, we're still improving our understanding of the underlying risk factors, though. Um, so a lot of our work as a group um, has um, uh, looked at, say, the role of eccentric strength, um, partly measured through through the Nordic hamstring exercise or the Norboard, as you mentioned. Um, but it certainly it's, it's 
it's possibly a factor in some athletes, but if we look across the literature, strength in and of itself doesn't seem to be certainly not predictive of, of future injury. Um, so there's a number of other things that we that we need to consider and start to look at. Yeah. And when you're looking at other things, is that like, I guess, the strength of the surrounding muscles and things like the quadricep or anything like that, or is it more just... Um, yeah, well, it's an interesting question because, uh, as I said, we've got um, we've got strong evidence for eccentric training um, as a preventative measure, but the evidence for um, strength as a risk factor, regardless of how we measure it um, or sort of what modality of strength we've tested, doesn't seem to be strongly associated with, with subsequent injury. Um, the evidence is a bit stronger for athletes with a history, past history of injury. Uh, and also older athletes, um, and so it's it's possible that strength might modulate the risk associated with those sort of classic non-modifiable factors. Um, but I think we need to look at some of the other um, uh, the other adaptations that we get to training um, eccentrically um, as as possible protective effects. So we've we've looked uh, recently at or well, the last few years at the role of um, hamstring architecture. Uh, and Ryan Timmons and, and David Opar from Australian Catholic University in Melbourne have, have led a lot of that research. Um, we were a part of a, a large, or I was a part of a, a large prospective study with um, with Ryan uh, in the A-League, uh, published back in 2016, I'm going to say, um, where we looked and we assessed hamstring architecture, particularly, um, uh, well, specifically of the biceps femoris, the most commonly injured muscle, uh, as well as strength, and we saw that athletes that had um, uh, not only lower levels of strength but also shorter shorter fascicles um, in that biceps femoris were significantly more likely to tear their hamstring. Um, so we know that um, fascicle length increases in response to eccentric training. It seems to uh, get shorter in response to concentric training, um, even at long lengths. Um, and if we look at back at some of the animal studies, um, from years ago, it seems likely that the increase in fascicle length um, uh, reflects a, an increase in the number of sarcomeres stacked in series. And so if we have more sarcomeres stacked in series, then um, we can potentially reduce the, the athlete's susceptibility to damage during eccentric contraction. So um, hamstring architecture seems to be uh, something of interest and certainly something that we're continuing to explore. Um, but there's likely other adaptations as well. So um, uh, there's a little bit of evidence for um, the geometry of the aponeurosis um, and some of the other connective tissue structures and the makeup of that connective tissue. Um, there's also at least a theoretical basis for things like um, lumbar pelvic stability and, and whether that has a, a potential role in injury. Um, the problem is that the evidence for those factors is quite limited at the moment. Um, so, so that's that's where we're as a we as a research team are, are starting to go down. So yeah, I'll let you have a sip. It's hard to <laughs> a lot of talk involved. Yeah. Um, two things that just have pumped like came up in my head then was with repeated injury how how long is recovery from your, say your first hamstring pull and then your second yeah yeah so unfortunately the the best independent predictor of a future hamstring injury is having a past one yeah so 
Um, that that's a that's a big issue, and and I guess we can get into the potential mechanism for why that might happen shortly. Um, most of those injuries, those subsequent injuries, happen um, fairly soon after the athlete returns to sport. Mm. Um, so, if you look across the literature, it differs from sport to sport, but you know, roughly thirty percent of of injuries um, reoccur. Uh, and the vast majority of those happen in the first month of returning to play. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think we need to um, probably be a little more cautious and not rush um, the rehab and rush the return to sport process. Um, certainly, you know, increased um, periods of convalescence is something that the AFL um, have adopted, and they've had some success in in reducing injury recurrences. Um, so yeah, something to something to consider. And the second one was say, and you've seen this in players who have most likely ACL injuries. They'll have a year off. And they'll play their first game and they do their other ACL. Is that something that comes in with hamstrings as well? So doing your left bicep femoris and then a year later doing your right or? Yeah, it's um, well. It's, that's that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we've really got the answer for that. Most of these, um, uh, most of most of these studies don't um, don't. Uh, yeah, good good question. Um, I'm I'm not sh- I'm not sure that we've really got the evidence to support that. Most of the the re injuries tend to happen um, at the well, at the same site, yeah, uh, or certainly at the same on the same leg, mm. um, which suggests to us that there's a number of maladaptations in um, structure and function after injury, um, which potentially render that muscle um, more susceptible to to another strain or another tear. Yeah, um, whether whether there's a an increased risk on the other leg, it's yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure we've got the answer. Yeah. Could you please take us through your research pathway from beginning until till now? Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm a I'm an exercise scientist by trade. Um, started off actually uh, doing an undergrad degree in business management. Um, Realised I, I wasn't very good at that, so um, went went into certainly had an interest in sport. Um, and an interest in, in injury prevention from a from a fairly young age. So um, went into an exercise science degree, um, really enjoyed that, um, really enjoyed uh, certainly the, the exercise prescription side of things and, and as I said, the injury prevention uh, space as well. Um, after my undergrad degree, I um, went into a, an honours uh, pathway and... Um, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I certainly had aspirations back then of going into um, physiotherapy mm. um, and really thought that that was something I wanted to pursue. Uh, n- never did I really consider a research career. Mm. Um, didn't love the the research subjects that I did through my undergrad. Yeah. Um, but I was really lucky to have uh, a supervisor, um, in, uh, Dr. or Social Professor Tony Shield at QUT, um, who was uh, you know, still probably the smartest man, smartest man I've ever met, um, very passionate uh, about what he does. Um, and so we, we started looking at um, 
some of the some of these maladaptations after hamstring injury, um, and uh, through the course of that year, I um, really enjoyed the research process. I still wasn't quite sure what I was going to do afterwards, but uh, was lucky enough at the end of that year to uh, travel overseas with with Tony and a couple other members of the research team um, for a conference uh, in London. The I think it was the Isaac Kinetic um, Injury Prevention Conference. Uh, and at the same time, we, we went and visited a few of the English Premier League teams and, and did some, some, some short presentations. Um, and I think it was at, at that time that I, that I really, um, I guess I saw the, the, the fruits of, of the labour um, and, um, and really started to consider a, a, um, a higher degree um, by research. Uh, so after that, I applied for a PhD, got into a PhD with um, Tony up at the uh, Queensland University of Technology, um, and the, the rest is history. So um, I finished that back in uh, 2016, um, as I said, looking at um, hamstring injury risk factors and also maladaptations to injury. Um, got my, my first academic job at La Trobe University uh, in Melbourne, where I spent a couple of years and then got sick of the cold, so I came back up to... Uh, the Gold Coast, um, where I'm here now, basically at Griffith University. Griffith, yeah. And so you may have already answered this before, but so what are you currently working on yourself, or are you involved in a team with those guys? Or yeah, yeah. So um, I'm very lucky, very fortunate to to be uh, a part of a um, reasonably large research group now, um, where we've. Uh, Sort of got a number of interests. We're still certainly um, looking at uh, hamstring injury and trying to optimise some of the um, injury prevention strategies that that athletes and clinicians might might be able to use. Um, we've got a, a couple of students working in that space, of course, but we're also um, expanding some of our work to to other common injuries. Um, one of the, the the areas that I'm really interested in and passionate in now is um, preventing female uh, injuries, um, particularly lower in, lower limb injuries, um, with the you know the increased participation in particularly some of the football codes of females here in Australia, um, we're seeing a real spike in the numbers of um, lower lower limb injuries, particularly some of the more traumatic ones like ACL ruptures, um, which is obviously of, of significant concern. Um, and so uh, one of our PhD students at the moment, Tyler Collings, is, is working very, uh, very hard on trying to identify some of the underlying risk factors for these injuries. Um, and uh, shortly he'll commence some, some interventional work where we're going to try to um, uh, delve into um, optimising the prevention strategies as well. And is Tyler working specifically with women's football, or is he working in? Yeah, yeah. So Tyler's Tyler's PhD is um, is focusing specifically on on yep. uh, women's football. And that what he finds of what you are working on now, judge where you go next, or do you have some aspirations? Like, what's next for you after I guess this period of time, or do you wait to see what you find? Yeah, I, well, I guess research is a is a bit of an iterated process, and. Um, uh, we're, we're constantly adapting um, our, our uh, I guess, strategic direction based on um, on what we find. Um, so, uh, yeah, I um, I don't really have a, a long term plan at this stage, um, but I think we'll just see where we go. And with um, I guess 
providing like an intervention say a few girls out of the team or a few males respond well is that something that you take gold standard then or do you move that to other teams or do you grow it or do you kind of look for another path or do you just what I'm trying to say is do you jump between um, interventions to try fix things or prevent injury quicker or do you just stick with one modality and go with that um, yeah look I, I think one of the things that that um, we've come to, to realise and certainly advocate for is that um, interventions should be based, certainly an injury prevention intervention, should be based on the highest level of um, scientific evidence that we've got available for us. Um, now, I appreciate, uh, particularly in the, the increasingly complex world of elite sport, um, we don't always have uh, level and evidence for every intervention. Yeah. Um, and that applies to the clinical space as well. So I think we need to take our, our clinical experience or our, our practical experience um, and mould that with the, the evidence that we've got available for us to make the, the best possible decisions. Um, so uh, if, we, if we look specifically at hamstrings, as I said before, the, the very best evidence that we've got available for us is, is for eccentric hamstring training. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I certainly feel that that should form the crux of, of what we do. That's not to say that other exercise modalities wouldn't also be effective, um, but we don't have the evidence for that yet. Um, so I, I think if we, if, we, if we build our interventions and we base them off, um, off evidence, rather than um, personal opinions and clinical assumptions and, um, you know, whatever the latest guru said on Instagram, I think that's our, that's our best strategy forward. Yeah, definitely. I'd like you to tell us about one of your favourite papers of yours and then something for the listeners to read as well that is not part of your work. Well, I don't know if any of the listeners will be particularly interested in, in my papers, but um, I guess one of, the, one of, the, one of my favourite papers is a, um, a review paper which we published in um, Sports Medicine, uh, in, in 2018, I'm going to say it was, uh, titled an, an evidence-based framework for strengthening exercises to prevent hamstring injury. Um, now, this is, this, as I said, a review paper which summarised um, a really significant body of work that our research team um, had been chipping away at over a number of years, but also several other um, researchers and research groups from around the world. Um, and, and so it attempt to, attempts to um, synthesise the evidence and um, provide a bit of a, a template for how um, clinicians or, or coaches um, can select exercises uh, to, to target specific muscles or target specific adaptations within those muscles, um, which we know are important for, for injury prevention. Um, so I, I like that paper um, simply because it's... Um, it, it's certainly not a not a summary of just my work, but um, but many many others, um, and uh, and I think it, it provides a, a nice clinical um, framework, I guess, to um, uh, to select exercises in your program. Yeah. And any other paper that you're reading at the moment or have read that is one for the listeners to read? Uh, yeah, certainly. So um, one of the papers I've actually got open on my desk at the moment is a, is a really nice um, consensus paper. Uh, it's commissioned through the uh, Danish Society of Sports Physical Therapy. 
um, written by, uh, by Lassie Ashoi and um, Christian Thorberg and others, um, based in, in Copenhagen. Um, it's, a, it's a really nice clinical paper because it summarises uh, the, the diagnosis, uh, prevention and also treatment strategies for a range of common lower limb injuries in sport. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think the paper does, I'm only really halfway through it, but it does a, a really excellent job of summarising the, the key information and also looking at the, the quality of the evidence that we've got available for us um, for dealing with and managing a number of our um, you know, troublesome injuries that we face in sport. Last question. How's the coffee? Coffee is good, mate. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, I, I particularly enjoyed the Keep Cup. Yeah, yeah, got um, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I do need to get myself one of these, so I um, appreciate it. No, no problems, yeah. So <laughs> I don't usually go to that one. I usually go to Provador or something, but um, yeah, they, right. they were just where I parked, so I just got in, in and out. So What a treat. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show today, and thanks for your time. Thank you, mate. No worries. Thanks for supporting the Cooks community. The aim of this future premium service is to provide small podcast episodes separate from Cook and Goals. I have some ideas boiling up at the moment which aren't too far away, so please stay tuned for more.